moving on to some of your more recent thinking, um, you've got a couple of Wall Street Journal articles. You talk about Vannevar Bush with you know immense admiration, and some of the questions in the chat are about you know what do we need right now, like as a as a country, as a nation, uh, what do we need to get right? Because um, Bush was an extraordinary person, and I think got some extraordinary championing. Um, there was a lot of urgency to what he was doing. Um, and I just wonder if, you know, you've written about maybe replicating something like that today. Uh, well, that's a super relevant question since I, uh, some part of this book started with working with President Obama's Council of Science Advisors and, you know, what's next after Vannevar Bush's, mm -hmm. uh, for people who don't know, Vannevar Bush was a engineer, was a provost of MIT, who at the start of World War II quit his job talked his way into a meeting with FDR and said, we need to completely change um, how the military goes about its job because we're gonna lose this war. Military is doing fine on you know building bigger, faster ships and bigger, faster planes, but the new technology uh, that's gonna make a difference in this war, uh, Nazi Germany is ahead of us and we will never catch up in time and we will lose, which was actually correct, which is, exactly how things played out over the next few years. But fortunately, FDR listened to him and created a new structure uh, for the military and for national research, which grew into National Science Foundation, DARPA, mm -hmm. many of the things that gave us. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, the, the system that Bush set up uh, around 1940, the Office of Science, OSRD, mm -hmm. um, when uh, after FDR won his fourth term in 1994, uh, in December, he called Vannevar Bush into his office and he said, well, what's gonna happen to this system that you invented for innovating astonishingly fast, this new structure and uh, when the war is over? And Van Bush said, well, it's, it's gonna fall flat on its face, just like science did for the last 20 or 30 years between these World War I and World War II, and we'll be in the same position again. So FDR asked him, he said, well, why don't you go and create a proposal for how we can internalize this and keep this going in times of peace to help the, improve the national well-being, improve uh, health, improve, uh, create jobs. So Bush turned around and came back about six months later with what's called Endless Frontier. I think I have that here somewhere. Yeah, Endless Frontier, his report, 1945, which laid the foundations for the national research infrastructure of the United States, which was the project I was asked to do for President Obama's Council of Science Advisors. That gave us the NSF, the expanded the NIH, uh, DARPA, which led to GPS, the internet, the biotechnology industry, the chemotherapy cure for cancer, lasers, roughly half of the trillions of dollars of GDP growth since World War II is attributed hmm. to the new technologies, much of the early personal computer industry, 3D graphics, all of that came from federal research projects, which not many people realize. And that's why the US has led the world in science and technology ever since for the last 70 years. So that's what Vannevar Bush did. But to your question, that's not gonna work anymore. Firstly, other countries, notably China and Russia in particular, have figured that out. It, it took a while, but they got it. And so they're replicating what 
uh, we've done and what Vannevar Bush has done, and especially China is just moving faster and faster and now is essentially a peer uh, with us in many of the key technologies. In, in fact, one not very well known fact is that we have essentially a perfect record in war games, the games that the military runs against China, which is we lose like 100 out of 100 times, oh, no. <laughs> which is not good. No. <laughs> so one of the, re it's, it's kind of similar to some of the stuff I'm doing with private sector companies, but essentially we're in a different world today in a very important way that what worked for the last 70 years for organizations won't work for the, certainly for the next 70, but probably not even the next 20 and not even the next 10. And that's because the pace of innovation has accelerated uh, primarily driven from the fact in the military case that what creates battlefield advantage is shifting from hardware to software. And while it takes years to create a new piece of hardware, it can take months or weeks to create a new piece of software. So that requires innovating at a pace and scale that we haven't done before. We've started most of the prior wars or conflicts um, behind our enemies, but caught up. We may not be so lucky next time, which is in fact, why we keep losing in these war games. And for uh, private sector companies, it's about the pace of competition. You can't organize the, the standard rules that have applied and the theories that have applied for the last 70 years won't work when the pace of innovation is a week, right? It, it's fine if it's a couple of years for your competitor to create a product, to your point about seeing inflections in what's coming around the corner, if that time scale is a year or a couple of years, okay. But if that time scale is a week, you're dead. I'm exaggerating, it may not be a week, it may be three weeks, but you know what I mean? Software can change like that. TikTok, how long did it go from zero to a billion? Yeah. Months, right? Yeah. Not, not, not 10 years, which is sort of a previous time scale. You look at uh, like Reliance Geo in India. Yes. Launched in 2016 and they were at a hundred million users in, yeah. uh, in, in seven months. I mean, unbelievable. Right. And so the, the old model of an organization, what used to work won't work uh, going forward when the, that pace of competition has accelerated mm -hmm. uh, from years to weeks to kind of new products that can kill your business. And so that's what I, I talk about is what is that new model and what is it what are people typically missing? And a few companies, I think, have figured it out well. And the, the kind of the way I describe it is a, the old model is, well, you've got, uh, if you imagine a car, you've got pistons and you've got wheels. You know, let's say that the pistons are the on time, on budget, on spec, and the wheels are the crazy new ideas. And yeah, let's, let's get an R&D lab and let's, you know, let's get some soldiers and, you know, we'll sort of hope it works out. And when stuff, you know, when they bicker, it sort of filters up the layers to the executive team or the leadership. And then we try to resolve the bickering and go back and forth and back and forth. And eventually, if you're lucky, new stuff pops out. And, and if you're unlucky at resolving the bickering, you know, you're too slow and you get killed. Um, or you never do it. You squash it like Nokia did or, or, or many other examples. New model is you create a special forces inside that help. That's, and you can think of that as the oil, right? A car needs pistons and it needs wheels, but to run at high speeds, it needs oil. And it can't be the CEO that's resolving the bickering or the EVPs that are resolving the bickering. 
um, a few companies that do this well. And, uh, you know, some folks that I've worked with and helped them understand what this means and what are the skill sets, you know, you need a special forces and they're just focused on mediation. Mm -hmm. That's all they do. Mm -hmm. They are the project champions. They are the ones when the inventor comes up with the idea and is a lousy champion to come back to what you and I were talking about in the beginning. They are the ones that play that role. Hey, there's a great invention. You discovered radar, but you don't know how to sell it to a general. Or you have created something like an iPad, but you can't articulate why it's a good business. And so it gets killed. Mm -hmm. They are the ones who say who are bilingual. Mm -hmm. They understand what language will work with business leaders or CEOs or managers or the manufacturing guys who will resist anything new. Their job is to reduce risk. So they want you out of their way. They don't want anything new. They want to just do their job that they get promoted and paid for or the sales guys. That's what happened at Xerox is people get that story wrong all the time. What really happened is that the sales guys were being paid per number of typewriters and number of copy machines. So when there's a new product, no matter how much they think it's personally cool, they got a mortgage. If they're being paid, this is what I mean by culture or structure. There was nothing wrong with the Xerox culture. It was the structure. You know, they got a mortgage. They got kids in school. I'm being paid on number of typewriters and copy machines I push. So am I going to push, you know, take hours out of my day to listen to this weird new thing called a personal computer? Because, you know, I have to read this 87 page PowerPoint you know, or whatever manual and it doesn't work. And if I show it to my customer, he's going to be really pissed off because it doesn't work. I just... That was, you know, in four hours, I could have made 60 phone calls and gotten, you know, 10 leads and closed three deals. You just, you just cost me three deals, which is this amount of dollars out of my kid's mouth. So no, so that was structure versus culture to come back to another point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the old model of organization won't work. You can't just rely on having these two groups and <coughs> resolving the bickering ad hoc. You need a special forces. Uh, so that's what I talk about with public sector as well as private sector companies. That's one of the things you need to do.